0: No purchase necessary. Void are prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American.
1: Here, my abilities contribute to our mission.
0: Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important.
1: Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation visit cia.gov/careers to learn more and apply
0: more
2: And what's up everybody welcome in it is GC live Thursday episode of the show as we count down the days two days away from week two South Carolina versus ECU noon kickoff ESPN 2 and of course I am Wes Mitchell he is Chris Clark this is GC live and as always represented by Clint Hammond of the mortgage network Clint Hammond.com 803-771-6933 is the way to get in touch with Clint. You see more of his information right there on your screen if you're on the video version of the show in MLS number is seven one five nine seven email address is C Hammond at mortgage network.com um, we actually uh, had Chris I, I don't know if you saw this but there was a comment from one of our listeners yesterday towards Clint who uh, I guess was uh, sort of supporting one of our supporters and Clint Hammond and let me see if I can find it real quick. Y'all I posted it on our Twitter. We certainly love when those who watch the show, uh, support those who support us It's from Adam. He said, Clint Hammond is actually the man. I reached out to him because of y'all and I've been super pleased with him and his team. So always great for us to bring someone to you and then you give them a chance and they give a, a, a great experience for you. So that's uh par for the course with Clint, but wanted to point that out. Um, largely this show will be about sort of getting into what ECU was all about. I finally had a chance to sort of actually go through their loss to App State and we will be joined actually in about 10 minutes by Clip Brock of Pirate Radio. Um, These guys are are a little bit like us, Chris, Um, uh, not quite structured the same, but I, I was trying to get some background information. Pirate Radio is on like, a hundred radio stations in in North Carolina. It seems like uh, I, I was looking. They're on like two FMs. They're on a couple of AMs. They have um, an online YouTube show as well. They have a kickoff party as well. Like they're they're a little bit just everywhere from what I've seen looking through. Um, we, we had someone, uh, Benjamin, yeah, posted on YouTube in the chat. He said, "As a lifelong pirate fan and current USC student, excited to hear from Clip." Um, Pirate radio gang are absolutely awesome. So we're glad to have clip on sounds like those guys are very plugged in at East Carolina. It's going to be a little bit of an abbreviated interview, but I'm I'm interested in hearing what he has to say about this group. Chris, I watched the game and I I guess we can sort of get into our thoughts on ECU. Then we will uh, bring him in, get his thoughts on ECU, and then we'll give you our thoughts on his thoughts. So starting off, man, um, The quarterback, um, basically, to me, um, Holton Allers is sort of the guy that stirs the drink, so to speak, for ECU. There is a, uh, you know, he's a big, sort of thick, lefty, 6'3", 230 type. Kind of has, and I I was trying to think of who he reminded me of. Like, the obvious, like, big-name guy you think is, like, Poor man's Tim Tebow, you know, like big lefty that can run or throw. He's more rather than just a guy that's going to sit in there and like go through the reads and hit the third or fourth or fifth option. To me, Chris, watching him admittedly for one game, he's the guy that's going to drop back, look for that first option, maybe a second option. But for the most part, once it gets past the first couple of reads – He's starting to move around, uh, not necessarily to take off run running. It's more, I'm going to move around, buy some time. Looks like the type of person that can, can make big plays, can also make some mistakes, but also can
1: be absolutely annoying to defensive coordinators. Great point. And he, he does bring an intriguing skill set that can be hard to defend. Um, this is a game – that's going to be a significant step up for South Carolina in many ways. We, we've been discussing this all week. Shane Bamer, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, they've all discussed it, right? But one of the ways is because of, of the quarterback's, you know, mobility and how he plays the game. And so when you look at the South Carolina's D-line still have a chance to win up front against DCU's offensive front, I think so. But one thing that we do know, they're going to have to play with really good, you know, rush lane integrity because this is a guy that can move around both within the pocket and outside. He can throw on the run. You look at South Carolina's linebackers, when they drop into coverage or when they're in man coverage, they're going to have to be watching the quarterback's mobility as well. And they may be tasked with going to tackle him once he gets past the line of scrimmage. And defensive backs, you're probably going to have to cover a little while longer you might be getting yourself in a scramble drill at times. And this quarterback, Wes, one thing you notice, you're right. He goes through his progression pretty quickly and then is looking to either move to throw on the run or maybe even scramble. But he's not afraid to take a quick look and throw the ball up for his guys to make a one-on-one play if he thinks that they have an advantage. So South Carolina's defensive backs are going to have to be on their toes as well in this game.
2: Yeah, and, I you know, I, I thought that – um you look at this game, and, and Be- Beamer really talked up this ECU team. He he laid it on pretty strongly. Um, you know, they even Satterfield too was like, "We well, watch the tape. You wonder how they weren't in this game." And I, you know, I was sort of under the impression. I, I didn't watch the game live. I was under the impression. Well, man, this game may have been closer than the score indicated. The way Beamer talked about them, I don't know if that was necessarily the case. Honestly, after I watched the game, I thought, now, now App State. Here's the thing: App State is a a good, a great program. Uh, for for the level they are at and a very, very good team most years. So um, it's not like they were just playing some, some awful team to start the year. That's a tough test for, for ECU. So you have to take that into consideration as well. But I thought, especially after it was mentioned by the coaches, you know, impressive, big, impressive offensive line. I thought ECU really struggled up front on, on both sides of the ball on the lines of scrimmage and, um you know when you have a quarterback like this he he can't do it all as much as he's going to make things interesting and and force maybe maybe the first guy doesn't get him maybe it's the second guy but you know forces you to chase him before but it, as a game sort of wears on it becomes more and more uh, like it, it's not sustainable you you can't just unless you're maybe Cam Newton or something like that you, you can't just throughout the course of an entire game do it yourself at quarterback and you know they they have some good receivers they have a they have a smaller slot receiver that's like 57 um they have some bigger guys on the outside but in this game that their running backs for the leading uh receivers and really the the offensive line and in pass pro i think struggle with app state's pass rush that it kept them from really able to consistently get the passing game going if you're South Carolina to me that's your that that's your key to victory right there is that this D-line that we've talked about all offseason needs to take over this football game.
1: That that was my number one key to us uh, and I, I don't think either of us are going to win any type of award for pointing that out. It's when you look at that game some of the other areas may look more even, you know? skill positions or DB, you know, different things like that. And certainly the quarterback's a talented player and can hurt you. But that was was noticeable drive one. Um, Both, you know, App State getting able to really press the pocket, um, put some pressure on uh, in pass protection for ECU. They struggled a bit there, as you said, losing some one-on-ones. And even in the run game, there were some things that uh, they struggled with as well. Other side of the ball, App State – They hurt ECU. Now, ECU looked quick up front. I think if you're South Carolina, you got to be cognizant of that, of not letting that quickness hurt you, not getting off kilter with, you know, we mentioned jumping off, you know, false starting. you got to watch those things. But with South Carolina's backs, with the size of their offensive line, we saw the outside zone play, particularly the Appalachian State ran, I think gave ECU some trouble. Uh, They are pretty quick in their front seven, but they also – can sometimes get overly aggressive and run themselves out of place. So there's some opportunities there for South Carolina. But going back to the Gamecocks D-line against the Pirates offensive line, that is the area where I believe there's the most distinct advantage. And so that's an area they'll have to win to affect the quarterback, get ECU behind the chains, and also try to slow down their two running backs, which are maybe two of their best players on their team overall. Rajai Harris out of Burns. And Keaton Mitchell-West, who was clocked as the fastest player in college football last week, he had that touchdown run, ECU's first touchdown of the game, lightning quick. I mean, the guy the guy can run. So that's that's the guy you're going to have to be certainly cognizant of, and, and winning up front is a big step towards doing that.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't want to uh, – I hate the phrase single-handedly, but uh, he, he was a big part, uh, Keaton Mitchell was, and them staying in that game and, and that he yep. made some big plays for them. Um, none bigger, as you said, than that, uh, that long play towards the beginning of the game. And he, he's a guy, you know, there, there's a lot of fast players in, in college football, but man, on, on that play. And I, I know, as you said, uh, the analytics back it up. He's one of those guys that like eats up angles. I, I like to call it like even, even when the defense does what they are supposed to do and takes the angle, that they probably have taken on 98% of other players they've ever tried to tackle um it, it's kind of like a like whoa this you know this guy is faster than uh than anything I have seen so and, and ECU it seems like every uh, little bit they they have a guy like that that just um is an absolute burner didn't uh didn't Chris Johnson the the speedy running back way back in the day uh that ran like a 427 play at ECU and that now they have a Chris Johnson. Um, I believe that's, that's their big wide receiver uh, on their current team. So, um, you know, they, uh, they, they've had, they've had, they've had skill guys over the years, man. Like they, they have always, uh, I I remember, um, the Hardy kid at receiver. I played them in 2016 in Columbia. I think dude caught 20 passes in that game. It felt like, um, you remember that he he went he went over 150 yards in that game. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact. Uh, I was trying to remember the exact number of receptions, but it, it I think it set some kind of record, and it was it was Zay Jones, right, Wes? I think they had I think they had Zay Jones and Isaiah Hardy or something. So I think you mix those two guys okay. together. If I'm well, not mistaken, but either it's, way, it's, it's no problem. It's no problem. Yeah, they. I guess, uh, hey, I pulled up the stat. It was a school and a league single game record for receptions. One shy of matching an FPS record. Uh, 22 receptions against South Carolina in that game.
2: Yes, yeah, so that, that was when they played in 2016. Uh, let's bring him in now, our special guest for the day. It is Clip Brock from Pirate Radio 927 there in Greenville. Uh, Clip, we appreciate the time today, man. How you doing?
0: Doing great. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. So um, – I know you've got another call coming up here shortly, so let's get right down to it. Uh, you've now uh, watched, of course, one game of ECU this year. Based on that, plus what you maybe gathered all offseason, what, what is the first thing we need to know about this ECU football
0: team, man? Uh, there's a ton of unknowns. Um, Mike Houston wants to run the football. They weren't able to do that against Appalachian State, but they were able to get the running backs involved in the passing game. Uh, good day receiving from Raja Harris and Keaton Mitchell, had the long touchdown. So from an offensive perspective, I think they want to run the ball more, and they want those receptions to go to Tyler Snead and C.J. Johnson, the big play receivers. Those guys had four catches apiece last week, so that's not going to get it done. Uh, App State dominated last Thursday night. Uh, You could say that ECU uh, had a Hail Mary callback, had another touchdown callback. That's true, but App State really – Took the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. That game could have been uglier than it was. So I still think I think ECU bounces back this week. Um, to answer your question, what you need to know about the Pirates, I don't know. They're a pretty desperate team right now, uh, coming off uh, what five, six straight seasons without a bowl game. So there's going to be uh, there's going to be a pretty good crowd, I think, on Saturday, and a team that's looking to bounce back from last Thursday.
1: Yeah. Chris Clark here. Thanks again for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. When you look at the week one game, despite the loss and some of the disappointment, what were some of the areas of this team, things you learned about this team that maybe they can carry over to week two and possibly even exploit against South Carolina in a positive way? What were some of the strengths of this squad?
0: Hmm. They were few and far between, unfortunately. Um, this is uh, kind of sad to say, but John Young, our punter, was the MVP. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Uh, we are replacing Jake Verity, who went on to the NFL, uh, the kicker, and Owen Daffer missed the extra point uh, the first one of the game but did hit a couple of field goals. So special teams I think is okay. That's a slight positive heading into this game. Holton Naylor's was okay from a numbers perspective, but, again, he's got to get clicking with his uh, main guys. C.J. Johnson, Tyler Sneed. Defensively, I think we have some talented corners, but they were exposed a little bit. App State was able to run the ball and then hit them up top with some big plays. Guys, there weren't, unfortunately for their ECU fans, not too many positives to take away from that game. I still think that there's opportunities for this team to be good, uh, and maybe we'll see them against South Carolina. Looking at South Carolina, I'm, I'm concerned about a couple things, them being able to run the ball against ECU, and, of course, their defense allows just over 100 yards. I've been told by Corey Miller, South Carolina great, and Tommy Suggs uh, from the radio network that Eastern Illinois is pretty bottom of the barrel, so we don't know what the Gamecocks have right now. But uh, not too many positives, guys, duh, to carry over from last Thursday, really.
2: Yeah, and, clip. you mentioned uh, the quarterback, Holton Aylers. Uh, you've seen him, obviously, uh, I guess this is three years or so now. He's been a starting quarterback, and, You've seen him at his best. I know you said last week maybe wasn't exactly his best, you know, performance. But what what is he at his best? Because I he looks like a guy, and you know, I, I thought he was sort of getting harassed by by the pass rush most of the night. But he looks like a guy that that defensive coordinators probably go to sleep worried about because uh, he he can ex, ex, uh, expand plays, you know, kind of just. It's very. He's not the guy that really stays in the box. He he can get out there and make a lot of different things happen. It seems like.
0: Well, you just reminded me of a positive uh, from the other night when Ehlers goes through the progressions and and then takes off. He had a few first downs. He ran over a safety, as you know, he's a pretty big dude. He can run over guys. Um, he was hesitant at times to run when his receiver wasn't there, and that hurt him. Where he take off and come up three, four, five yards uh, short of a first down. But he certainly is a dual threat. He can run the football. It seems like to me, Holton is better when they're going up tempo and almost better when a play breaks down and he's able to scramble out and either hit CJ uh, on the run, on the sidelines, or use his own legs. It's almost like things are better when the play gets extended and he's able to just use his natural ability than when he's kind of stuck there in the pocket. So, uh, yeah, he can give you some trouble uh, on the outside and, and, you know, quarterback draws, things like that. He can he can do uh, both through the air and on the ground.
1: Clip, Mike Houston is, is a guy that we've talked very highly of on our program uh, um, in terms of his coaching ability. He took his Citadel team to South Carolina in 2015 and, and beat those guys. Obviously, different place, different offensive scheme, et cetera now, but a, a really good coach. What what is what have you guys heard there from him locally during his media opportunities as far as what he thinks of his team, where they need to go, and then specifically the matchup with South Carolina?
0: Yeah, kind of interesting you bring that up today because there was like a, a bit of a turn from the offseason to this week where he was very optimistic, kind of upbeat. He'd smile a time or two. Uh, yesterday there wasn't much of that. Uh, he seemed pretty pissed off to be frank, and – Uh, He's expecting a lot, expecting a big bounce back from his guys this week. Um, As far as South Carolina, he, you know, the first he was asked the question at the press conference the other day, and he talked about size and speed, basically kind of kind of cliche. But that's what uh, you look at the Gamecock roster. That's what you see. So he's concerned about what they do, certainly up front uh, with the in the trenches. That's how they lost the game to have state for the most part that could be how they lose the game uh, this week against South Carolina. So he's concerned about the lines. But Houston himself, it was kind of a different Mike Houston on Wednesday uh, leading up to this game with his uh, kind of intensity. He wasn't at the podium to joke around. Uh, he's pretty serious about things right now. So maybe uh, maybe he had to give his team a different message here midweek that, uh, guys, we, <laughs> we got to get this thing uh, going here because – Look, you're at Marshall next week. You get a FCS game after that. And then you start conference play with Tulane, who almost beat Oklahoma. So if you don't get it going quick, this thing could uh, get away from you in a hurry.
2: Again, joined here by Clip Brock, uh, Pirate Radio 927. Clip, uh, what, what can you tell us about these two running backs, uh, Harris and Mitchell? I know Mitchell, we saw the tweet where he was clocked as like the fastest. Uh, sprint by any player in the country last week. And then Harris from, from here in South Carolina, Burns' kid that I, I watched a couple of times in, in high school as well. Um, it seems to me just watching ECU last week, that's maybe a potential strength of this team is, is that sort of duo in the backfield.
0: No doubt. And, and one of the issues is giving them uh, holes to run through. And if that's not working, get them involved in the passing game, which they were able to do last week. Uh, we knew Harris going into 2020. We honestly didn't know a lot about Keaton Mitchell, but Mike Houston is a guy that lets the players determine their playing time at practice. And we had a veteran in Darius Penix who is now transferred. We had Chase Hayden who transferred from Arkansas, who has now transferred again to Illinois, and Demetrius Mooney, the leading rusher from 2019, is now on the defensive side of the ball for ECU. Those are really the three running backs going into last year. Harris and Mitchell as true freshmen beat those guys out and were able to get the playing time last year. And Rajay Harris is is the one is the one A, I guess, but Keaton Mitchell has proven to be just as good. He's faster. Harris is more of your bruiser as a running back, but these certainly are two talented guys that again, like I said, if Mike Houston has his druthers, he'd like to give them 20 25 carries a uh, split them up you know, 12-1, 13-the-other, but if that's not working, uh, we saw last week he's going to get involved in the passing game, but those are two great weapons to have, and again, with the COVID year, they're technically still freshmen on this East Carolina roster. Clip,
1: last one I got for you, man, because I know we're up against it for you with time. Defensively, obviously, you documented that East Carolina had some struggles against App State, but stylistically, what can fans watching Saturday expect, And, and who are some of the guys that, could cause South Carolina problems on that defensive side of the ball.
0: Well, due to targeting from the last game last season, Rick Debru had to sit out the first half of the uh, the App- Appalachian State game the other night, so he'll be back for a full game. He's a defensive lineman. that's probably ECU's top defensive lineman. Xavier Smith uh, has been the team's leading tackler the last couple years. He is kind of splitting between rush-in and middle linebacker but he is certainly an impact guy. Bruce Bivens is another veteran uh, linebacker that has played a lot of football for the Pirates. And, and those are probably your, your household names, quote-unquote, for ECU. We do have some guys in the secondary. Jaquan McMillan is now in his third year playing corner. We got a, a safety transfer from North Carolina, DJ Ford, that people are excited about. So it's kind of like they have the parts. Now they got to put them all together. I give Blake Harrell, defensive coordinator, some credit. He comes in last year, doesn't get a spring ball, uh, doesn't really get a lot of contact with the guys leading up to fall camp, and they showed some some improvements in his first year as coordinator. Now he's had an entire offseason, and I'm expecting them to take another jump. Didn't necessarily see it the other night against Ab State, but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see. East Carolina didn't get home; they didn't get to chase Bryce last week on the Blitz. I'm sure they're going to be aggressive and send a blitz at Doty or, or Nolan, whoever South Carolina has a quarterback. So I would expect to see a pretty aggressive defense. And if South Carolina is able to protect like App State does, they could have some big plays in the passing game.
2: Final thing for you, Clip, Um, I don't know if you want to give a score or just sort of uh, let us know how you think it's going to kind of – the game flow will be. What What is your expectation for how this game will play out Saturday. And and what's your expectation as far as the atmosphere? The, the coaches here, um, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and head coach Shane Beamer have been bragging on the ECU atmosphere all week long because they, they've all been there before. They've been on the other yeah. sideline there. Uh, what can we expect from this fan base on Saturday, man?
0: Well, I mean, Shane Beamer's been here, but he was here during better times when things yeah. were a lot better in Greenville. Uh, but no, like, I think they're expecting 40- maybe 43,000, something like that. First time a lot of these people have had a chance to see ECU in person in a long time. Wish the game was a little later, of course, but nice. I think it will still be a good atmosphere. If ECU had won last week, maybe it would have been a better atmosphere, but it should be a good crowd. I think people show up rooting for the Pirates. I heard South Carolina's bring a lot of fans too, so that's a good thing. Uh, I know I'm going to come off as a homer redneck here, but like <laughs> I, I host our post game show, I, I'm as realistic as they come. I, yeah, I really am. I, I picked App State to win last week. I said on the post game show I expect ECU to bounce back in a big way, and I'm picking ECU to win this game. It reminds me a little bit of a few years ago. ECU loses the season opener to North Carolina A and T and then comes back and beats North Carolina by like 30 points at home the next week. So Mm -hmm. I I see it a similar thing to that. And that's tough to say. We've had a ton of people questioning the line on this game and I get it. I was questioning it too. I was hoping it would be South Carolina by four, five, six, seven points. And I would take the pirates and and have some points to play with there. But um, no, this is more of a a good thing. And I think they didn't play their best ball uh, last week. So, I would take the Pirates to win, but I do think, uh, I'm thinking like mid 30s to low 30s or low 30s to high 20s, something like that, 33, 28, maybe something
2: like that. Yeah. Uh, Cliff Beamer actually referenced that exact situation you were talking about when, uh, when ECU beat North Carolina after opening up with that loss. So he, he yeah. he's been, he's been paying attention. He's been going into the, he, he's referenced every big ECU win, I, I feel like, for the last, uh, decade or so in the press conference hey, the
0: nobody makes you feel better about your team than the opposing team's coach, and boy, Beamer laid it on thick this week.
2: He, he did.
0: He did, no doubt.
2: Clip, uh, we'll, we'll let you get out of here, man, but we definitely appreciate the time. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Enjoy it, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. That's Clip Brock, Pirate Radio 92.7. Um, good stuff from him and uh, Chris as we bring us back in here. Um, yeah, so it, it's still it's it's an interesting matchup man because and and I I'll, I'll be completely honest man I have gone I have gone back and forth in my head between man this thing is scary for South Carolina to i think South Carolina can win this game by two scores to right back to well South Carolina should win but you know, it's gonna be a three or four point game. So, you know, I I, I think you, you look and there's and he he mentioned it there not not much at all went right for ECU last week, right? Like let's be honest about that. Not much went right. But it's week one. You know, you can you can get exposed in week one, but you can also improve a lot from week one to week two. And as we've talked about, South Carolina really didn't play a squad that was really too capable of exposing things. He even heard Clayton white. He said um, that there were some, there were some issues in the secondary that none of us probably even noticed where if, um, if, if a different opponent is out there, you probably do get sort of uh, exposed on some plays. So um, it it is interesting here in the ECU side because he sort of went from nothing went well last week to predicting the, uh, the upset, but um, what was your takeaway from, from what clip just had to say?
1: Well, that was interesting. I, I was kind of wondering at the beginning, uh, when he said that he expected a bounce back, I didn't know if that meant was going to ultimately mean he thinks they'll play better and it'll be a close game, but maybe still lose, but no, you know, anticipating a win. Um, I'm kind of where you are, Wes, you know, um, I've gone back and forth myself because I think ECU is a better team than what we saw last week. I will also say that some people are going to disagree with me on this given the scoreline. I don't think South Carolina played all that well last week either, right, which is it's good when you – they did a lot of things well. They, They made some big plays. They had big special teams plays. They took care of the ball for the most part. Had some big defensive plays, pick six. But they had two touchdowns called back due to penalties, so there were administrative things that weren't that good. And like Clayton White said, some things that maybe you don't notice out there offensively, the run blocking could have been better. There wasn't a, a downfield passing attack, some of that by design, some of it because it's still a question. I don't think either of these teams played close to their best week one. You know, So from here it's about finding out, well, what, what version of a team or what could either of these teams be? if South Carolina doesn't play well on Saturday and East Carolina does, there's not a big enough gap between these teams where South Carolina could overcome it. Right. So that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. And I think that's probably how clips thinking about it. And it seems like that's how you're thinking about it. Um, I tend to go back to the line of scrimmage. I think that that can be a big enough difference to where, South Carolina can slash should win this game. But there's still some some very concerning elements here because there's still some questions for South Carolina to answer, too.
2: No doubt. I, I think it, you know, it sounds like the energy and the vibe in Greenville, North Carolina right now isn't quite what it was or has been when they've really been rolling as far as the atmosphere that, that South Carolina will see on Saturday. I don't know if that matters. I don't know if that makes it a little bit easier. Who knows? I I don't know if this is necessarily going to be kind of. Um, you, you remember when when Lou Holtz was here and and Arkansas would always they'd play that one game um, in Little Rock and it'd be in that tiny little stadium and it would just be freaking like everybody's just on top of you like that's that's the way I think of uh, playing at ECU where it's just tinier stadium. 50,000 people, but they're just on top of you and they are drunk and they are pissed off and they are just – they are fired up. You know, like I, I just think of it like that. Um, this may be about – if you're if you're on the fence about going, if you're a South Carolina fan, is there a chance South Carolina sort of – they're not going to take over the stadium, but um, the Gamecocks tend to travel well, I've noticed, Chris, especially when it's a place they haven't been in a while. It's like the fan base is like, "Oh, let, let's go check this place out." I'll be very curious when the when the when the camera pans down to start the game, is it 100%? Is it full? How much garnet is in this stadium on Saturday? It, they're not going to South Carolina's not going to be able to take over the stadium. ECU will have a big portion of fans there. Don't get me wrong, but um, You know, Clip said I, I heard a lot of Gamecock fans are coming up as well. That that would be interesting to see as well. Can can they make it a little bit more of a seventy thirty crowd as opposed to a, a ninety ten or something?
1: Yeah, and it's it's not uh, it's not Vandy. God, man, we're we're starting to get a little strong on Vandy in terms of bashing them. I, I said some.
2: Well, they are the worst team in the country. So,
1: <laughs> but it, point is, so, you know, when South Carolina plays Vandy. You know, the next time they play at Vandy, unless that program takes a huge step up, that's a game they can take over. I think that happened last time, right, Wes? Wasn't it a, a takeover last time they played at Vandy? So you wouldn't expect that, but still could be a good crowd. It, it'll be, a, you know, more of an adversarial atmosphere, certainly than South Carolina saw last week. So for some of these guys, let's go back to what we said before the home opener. This is going to be the biggest crowd that a lot of these guys have played in front of. Well, now. You know, even though, look, they're not going to Death Valley at night, Tiger Stadium. You know, they're not going there with the folks in Baton Rouge or not going on the road to Georgia or Clemson for a night game. But this will be some of these guys' first taste of a road atmosphere and the different things that come with that. You know, Shane Beamer has said he tries to structure the schedule of road games, what they do the same as home games, but you got an earlier start, you're on the road, you got some different things. So keep keeping focus, you know, will be important and there's going to be a more adversity in this game than there was last week. Again, South Carolina made plenty of mistakes last week to go along with their accomplishments to where they were just so much better than the opponent that they could overcome those things easily. A lot of it wasn't even noticeable. Um, this week that won't be the case. And so when that adversity hits, we're going to start learning more about this team with how they respond. And frankly, you know, what their strengths are, what more of their weaknesses are. I'm
2: thinking, Chris, this is going to be a game based on what I've seen from ECU on defensively on the front seven, what um, their approach is defensively. There are three, uh, again, this. So yesterday was my first time really just diving into this team. They're a three man front defense, which means you're getting – they're bringing four guys pretty much every time, but the fourth one you don't always – now they have a particular guy that's more of like a stand-up edge rusher type guy. Dude's like six foot tall. Like he's not a traditional long, lengthy defensive end type guy. He's a stand-up guy. And then you don't know where that fifth rusher is coming from if you are an offensive line sort of group trying to set your protection. Well – what did we see from South Carolina last week? The coaches said, you know, they, they wanted to see better communication as far as dealing with movement up front, even going back to last year, to me, this was an offensive front for South Carolina, Chris, that I don't want to say it was all or nothing. Cause that's dramatic, but it was, there was a lot, there's actually a lot of negative plays allowed last year, if you look at it statistically, but then there's a lot of huge plays in the running game as well. Like, Remember, Kevin Harris, we didn't even project Kevin Harris to be like a big play threat. How many just long runs did Kevin Harris bust off last year? How many like 20-yard chunk plays, 20, 25-yard chunk plays did Kevin Harris? It was kind of like this was a chunk play running game, which the final result may look the same, but it's different how you get there because you're going to have – you know South Carolina actually looking back as far as negative plays allowed – they, um I got this from SEC StatCat. They had, I think, seven negative plays last week, which um, was bottom quarter of the SEC. So I'm wondering, moving forward, do we continue to see that play out? Like against ECU, a team that's going to be aggressive, that's going to try to knife into the backfield, but also a team that's going to over-pursue, that's going to get themselves out of gaps, stuff like that combined with South Carolina's trend at least for last season and maybe we saw a little bit of that so far in game one do we see another another time where sometimes it's three and out because you're behind the sticks but then it's sort of like all or nothing other times you're just gashing them for these big plays that that can be successful but also that can mean you have these stretches where you just go dry on on offense I think and um you may be sitting there saying, "Well, that's any offense in the country." Yes, but to me, there's a difference in sort of a consistent, efficient offense. Maybe it doesn't have as many big plays, but doesn't have negative plays versus an offense that there's. We talked about it yesterday. There's that variance where it's either a big play or a, a no gain/slash negative play.
1: Yeah, and this isn't a team that's equipped to deal with those third and nine, third and eight situations. You know, you can deal with them a little bit more against an eastern Illinois, but against even against ECU, you're you're not gonna deal with those as well unless this team can find a downfield passing attack. Now, they probably, odds are Wes, they have m- more of a downfield passing attack than we saw week one. There there weren't a lot of those opportunities taken. Um, but it is still a question, and, and that's going to be a, an important part of sustaining the running game and being able to, at times, look, South is going to face some third and longs this season. Can they find a way to convert some of those? And so that was, you know, one of the, the mistakes that I referenced earlier or the not playing that well, actually, in week one. That was one of the things. The number of negative plays, I didn't realize it was that many, but there were certainly some where – You know, just thinking back, some perimeter runs that South Carolina had where they just they didn't block it well at the receiver position or at the tight end position, some interior things where, um, you know, they got overloaded a little bit. Those are the types of things that they're going to have to avoid. Now, I'm sure the staff has taken a look at it. They know they're going to look at ECU's personnel and how they pursue and what they're doing schematically. And that's something that certainly you're going to have to try to avoid to stay ahead of the chains.
2: Um, yeah, I, I just looked it up to make sure. And this again, according to SEC StatCat, seven negative plays for South Carolina. That was third, like third last in the SEC. Now, that said, you know who had the second most negative plays last week? It was Alabama. So that maybe isn't, if you're making big explosive plays, may, maybe you sort of negate some of that. Um. The least negative plays, just for context, and, again, we're talking about one game, is uh, two by Auburn. Um, but, dude, Missouri Missouri had 13 negative plays in their game. So almost twice what South Carolina had. To, to give you a little more context on that, the percentage there, 18.8, 18.8% of their plays were negative plays which is not a great way.
1: Not a good recipe.
2: Not a great recipe. South Carolina was 9.4, 9.5% of their plays are negative. You want to see that come down, right? But still, that's not like in a one-game sample size, that's not – and some of that was late in the game, like, you know, the uh, when you have uh, backups and third-teamers and, and stuff like that in the game as well. Um, let's see. We had a couple questions. Chris from uh, Facebook uh, wants to know what part of our game could be key to winning and losing the game. I mean, I'll go back to what we said earlier, right, Chris? I mean, to me, if you, we can list a thousand things. And really, you can list – It's I always think it's funny when keys to victory, if you go broad enough, you could just list the same keys to victory for every game that's ever been played. Stop the run, run the football. Like, that, that's really what it comes down to. But if you're looking at matchups and what they did last week, what South Carolina did last week, you're circling that defensive front, and you're saying they have to eat right. Like this has to be one of those games where they just take over. I think I think Zach Pickens, what we saw out of him last week, getting in the backfield, um, the the big plays from Birch were obvious. The you know Enigbarre just harassing the quarterback was obvious. Strong was obvious, but Zach Pickens had a I mean he was in the backfield for a lot of the night as well. To me that that's the key. You're going to be able to force um Ehlers, who I pronounced his name wrong earlier, um into some issues, I think. He he's scored in his career a lot of touchdowns for these guys. He's also turned it over. He's been a little turnover prone. You tend to get that with these guys that extend plays and take a lot of hits and and slinging mindset. Um so, I, so, yeah, I, I think, Chris Turnberg, if we're going to sort of uh, narrow it down to one thing, Chris Clark, wouldn't you say it, it just has to be defensive front versus ECU offensive front?
1: Yeah, I think I think that is the one. Because sometimes you can go broad and say, win the line of scrimmage. like So, get zoom into that a little bit more. That's where South Carolina can make the biggest difference in this game. Because if they win up front, right, you're probably containing the running back. So then you're getting ECU's offense behind the sticks a little bit. Then maybe the quarterback's pressing because he has the ability to make plays off-platform throws, throw on the run, try to scramble. Then maybe you're forcing him into mistakes, whether it's a fumble or a pick or a throwaway, and then you're getting the ball punted back to you. That, That, to me, is South Carolina's biggest advantage in terms of personnel and talent is the talent and depth on their D-line versus ECU's O-line. Some of the other positions, maybe ECU's a little better, maybe South Carolina's a little better, but it's not as glaring, the most glaring talent differential and play differential based on what we know and what we saw week one is that one. So that's where South Carolina has to make the most hay on Saturday.
2: I noticed, and, and this may be one of those things that is such a small sample size, Chris, that it doesn't end up meaning anything, but I thought ECU's DBs, struggled a little bit when the ball was in the air like like they were in decent position it's not like the receiver was wide open but just um struggled to when when sort of the ball goes up and it's going to be your guy or their guy it seemed like it was not ECU's guy making the play more times than not against apps receivers um I expect at the very least South Carolina is going to throw the ball down the field more than one time this week so you know, will they hit them? Will they not? We we shall see. But I, I think it's another opportunity for South Carolina's receivers. That'll be something to watch. Like, can they make these plays downfield? Because ECU could be um, susceptible to that. So if you make those plays, you're going to have a chance to to actually probably put up quite a bit of points in this game. Because ECU did not play great defense last year. It was kind of more the same against App State. Uh, I think they they averaged uh, allowing over thirty. Points a game last year, dude. So I mean, to me, if, if South Carolina gets the the downfield passing game going, gets the receivers involved, they're making plays. Then South Carolina probably scores. In, in you know, Clip was talking about this being a, a mid thirties type game. In my head, I don't have it as being that high scoring. But if South Carolina gets can hit some of those plays down the field, I, I think it extends into maybe being something where they score 31, 35, 38 points. If it's sort of what we've seen, you know, dating back to last year, we saw it some last week, or they're not able to get the ball down the field, then I think it's more of like a mid-20s type scoring output from South Carolina because the running game should be there. But whether or not the the passing game is maybe makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the the two areas, I think, two – one surprise and then one area from week one for South Carolina a I was surprised that we did not see more explosive runs in week one, especially given the competition. I thought that, you know, it's white did break a a long one, you know, as the game progressed, I thought Marshawn Lloyd would have one, maybe white would have some more. Um, And look, we don't have to re-litigate. There are a lot of different things there. Lloyd became more comfortable as the game went on. So did White because he broke that long run. He was the best back in the game. Uh, He, you know, was the leading receiver in the game. So point is, if they play better up front on the O-line, better perimeter blocking with receivers and tight ends, and the backs, you know, find those holes, and now they've got a game under their belt, maybe a little bit more comfortable – I think there's an opportunity there for some longer runs and to be more explosive in the run game. Secondly, explosive passing. I mean, we've talked about it's got to be important and point of emphasis for this team. They're not going to be one of the most explosive passing teams in the country. They're not this year. It's just – it's not going to happen overnight. But they do need to be able to, in this game and going forward, keep the defense honest with that. So hitting a long ball to Jalen Brooks. Having Josh Van make some explosive plays, to carry on or get him involved more, and and have him, you know, did not have his best game uh, in game one, I think, Wes. So, those are all things that I think they're they're going to have to do, and frankly, they may have the opportunity to do those things in this game.
2: Let's see, uh, we we'll get a couple more questions, and we're gonna get out of here. Corey wants to know if we have uh, Southcon pursuing Jarvis Green from Dutch Fork. Um, I don't I don't know whats how much South Connor is doing with them yet but I do know this I watched him in a scrimmage earlier this year and I'm with you Corey that kid looks really really good I, I was very impressed um, any news on delp not really anything new there um, Continue to watch that Ryan wants to know if South Carolina comes out of this game with a two plus touchdown win does the national perception of the program change I I think it's far too early to say that, Ryan. I mean, w- would that be a great win for South Carolina on a local, like from a South Carolina perspective? Absolutely. I think that's something you build off of. Will people nationally care if South Carolina beats ECU? Honestly, probably not. I mean, if South Carolina beats ECU by 35, which not is not going to happen, I don't know if anybody nationally really cares because you're talking about – um the, the, the logo right now, you know, we talk about South Carolina and the logo. It, it, going to ECU and win doesn't really, like, set off the alarms, you know. Like, to, for South Carolina to sort of take a step forward as a program, and we're getting ahead of ourselves here, I think, it, it means beating some of those middle-of-the-pack SEC teams, like beating a couple of them, I think, or it means knocking off a team that nobody, you know, expects you to win. So, yeah, it would be a, a huge positive. Don't get me wrong. Huge positive for them locally. I don't know that anyone cares nationally, uh, Chris.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I think if you're going to talk about some big national perception, I mean, doing something like, you know, you talk about a big splash, like beat Georgia or something. Look, I don't think it's fair to expect that. I can already tell. I can go ahead and tell you. I don't think either of us on this show will be picking South Carolina to beat Georgia West, even if they beat ECU by a great margin, right? But you know, go out, beat you know, beat those a Kentucky, a Missouri, right? Do you know, take care of Tennessee, get to the end of the season and win some of those games. That's when the conversation maybe changes. Of hey, Shane Beamer, in, in year one look at what he did. And if it's above maybe what some people anticipated, I think people will start talking about it a little bit more. But but this won't move the needle. Will it be a good win? You know, no doubt about it. Wes, one, one note on um, the question about DELP uh, that somebody asked, Ross maybe. Uh, T said DELP will take three official visits, just as a clarification point, not to be a stickler. DELP already made his official to South Carolina this summer. He officially visited Georgia back in the summer. So he is going to go to some more games. He might be back at South Carolina. Originally, maybe Kentucky. That might not happen, but maybe the Troy game. If he does, that will not be an official visit. it just be a game visit. But nothing new right now on Delp as he continues you know, moving towards a decision. And uh,
2: Christian wants everybody real quick about dead Soxie.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's definitely do that. So Gamecock Central is partnered with – Dead soxy the fine folks over there. D E A D S O X Y dot com. Go check out their college line, their boardroom dress socks, athletic socks, no shows, buttery soft feel, patented no slip technology. So they stay on right where they need to be all day. Awesome socks, high quality. Uh West's tried some. I've tried some. We've got pairs of dead soxy socks. They are awesome. Get 25% off your order with the promo code cocky, C O C K Y. And that is at deadsoxy.com. We appreciate their support of GC live.
2: No doubt, man. Um, Let's see. Did we have anything else? It seems like there might've been one other question I was going to hit, but I lost it. Um, Quarterback. Still nothing official there. Sounds like we won't have anything official until uh, Saturday. I'll, I'll give you all a little I'll throw you a bone i the the longer this thing goes, the closer we get the more I think the chances have gone up that that we see more of zeb nolan than than maybe um was anticipated if, if I guess that's the accurate way to say it i mean um still not nothing final but i i if you, if you said. Make a prediction. You have to give a prediction right now, Thursday at 2.52 p.m. Make a guess. My guess would be that Zeb Nolan gets the start. So we shall see. Um, Maybe tomorrow we know a little bit more, Chris. But right now at 2.52 on Thursday, that is my prediction. Um, Any final thoughts, man?
1: No final thoughts. Agree with what you said there. Shane Beamer tonight. Call-in show, 7 p.m. We'll be listening. Uh, Check that out. We'll see if there's any any team-worthy news. We'll pass it along. And uh, have full coverage on GamecockCentral.com. Tons of pregame content, man, on there right now. Make sure you check that out. And we will be back at 2 p.m. tomorrow. So we'll see everybody then. All right. He's Chris. I'm Wes.
2: Like you said, we'll see you then. Later
1: being a parent can be really challenging
2: child and family resource network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting visit child and family resource network.org today
1: with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere